Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. May God add his blessing to that reading of his word. In fact, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would enlighten our eyes. We know, Lord, that you are the one, through the Holy Spirit, who can enable us to understand the truth of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not be like those that day that rejected the clear word and the clear evidence before them that Christ is Lord, but rather we pray that we'd be those who put our faith in these words and that you'd help us to understand them to our salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to this fascinating incident in Luke chapter 11. As many of you probably know that there were many, many cases of demonic possession back then because all the forces of evil were stirred up against Christ in his coming in his earthly ministry. And so along with his miraculous healings, there were many, many times that he freed people from being oppressed and particularly being possessed by demons. Now, most people took that to be evidence that Jesus was at the very least a mighty prophet of God. And some of them drew the right conclusion that he was Christ, the son of the living God. Unfortunately, that wasn't always the case. Not everyone. Here on this occasion, as we read in verse 14, he was casting out a demon. It was mute. It means that the demon caused a person not to be able to speak. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. Good. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Meaning that there is some way to explain this miracle apart from us having to admit that he really is the Christ, that he really is who he says he is. 
Maybe he's made some deal with the devil so that he's just letting him cast out his own demons because of some sort of deal. Well, is that a reasonable conclusion? Of course not. Jesus will show us that it is not. And as he does so, he pulls back the curtain on this single miracle and shows us what is actually going on behind the scenes because this is just pointing to a larger picture. Well, what is really going on is this age-old conflict between two different kingdoms. And what they're seeing is just one of many victories of, of Christ's kingdom against Satan and his kingdom. As Satan rules over the people of this earth and in their lies and deceptions, and he keeps them into his palace and he guards them jealously, but, but Christ comes and he plucks them away from him. He frees them as he speaks a word of truth to them. And they believe in Christ and are saved. These are two strong men. But one of them is stronger than the other. And he will prevail. And that's our title this morning. That's, that's the name of this sermon. That the stronger man is going to win. And we have four points underneath that. The, strong man, the stronger man wins. First, the situation clarified. Second, that Satan is a strong man. Third, but Christ will overcome him. And fourth, there is no middle ground. Stronger man is is going to win. That's the name of the game. And first point is that the situation is clarified. It says in verse 15, Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. Now, if you get nothing else from this, get this. One thing that we can absolutely be certain is that unbelieving People are never at a loss for reasons why not to believe in Christ. There is infinite creativity to come up with anything other than, actually, this man is precisely who he said he was, and he has claim over my life. So they're, they're grasping, they're looking for some reason not to believe. Now, how does Christ respond to it? Two ways. First, in verse 17, he says, But knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Well, this is a general principle, isn't it? It's a general principle that a house or a kingdom or anything divided against itself is going to fall. It will self-destruct. You don't go around doing such things that are going to cause a self-destruction of your own house or your own kingdom. And that's what's, what's going on. You see, Satan's grasp over this poor mute man, this is his kingdom of darkness. And he's not going to just simply let him go. He's not going to simply give Christ some wonderful victory, and that's what it would be. It would be a major defeat for him. And as for doing a deal, what would that accomplish? What, what would it accomplish if he really did say, all right, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you have this one. We'll do this kind of this deal so that you can perform this miracle. Well, it would establish Christ as being a worker of these amazing miracles in the sight of the people, wouldn't it? It would be so counterproductive to Satan's interest to allow him to do that. So, of course, he doesn't. Now, the other response, by the way, is in verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Because they're being inconsistent in this. On the one hand, they're saying, well, he's just doing it because he's made a deal with the devil. But they had their own exorcist, you know, 
We know from the book of Acts that there were other exorcists, some of whom even spoke to the demons in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, as it is in Acts 19. The question is, what about them? Were they also in league with the devil? So they have to be consistent. Whether it's, it's either that each and every exorcist that has ever come before them is in league with the devil, or else they're being inconsistent. Now Jesus goes on in verse 20, he says, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, that's, you see, a, a reference to Exodus 8 in, in the, the Exodus plagues. You know, as Moses comes and he is the Messiah at that time, he is the one that is sent by God to deliver the people. He's pointing forward to Christ. He's a picture of what Christ would do. All these people are in darkness. They're under the sway of Pharaoh. And he comes with these miraculous signs in order to demonstrate that the, the power of God has come to bring his people away. Well, some of those, uh, uh, the, the people there themselves, even the magicians say, there is no other explanation for this. What is being done here? This is a finger of God. That's the magicians. Well, Pharaoh, of course, refuses to believe, though. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. He obstinately refused to believe even then. And so even though there's no other explanation that it could possibly be given, yet we know that there will be those who will not believe. Well, anyways, to clarify this larger situation, because some people had introduced this confusion, this is not Satan himself in some sudden fit of suicidal self-destruction destroying his own kingdom. And on the other hand, it's very clear to everyone that this is no merely human power at work. This is supernatural. And the only other possibility is that God, this is the finger of God doing this, pointing people to his own Christ, saying that this is the one that I have sent, and he is the one that you should listen to. This is not the kingdom of darkness self-destructing. This is the kingdom of God emerging victorious and pointing us to Christ. Well, that's the clarity of the situation, that just so we know what's going on. And secondly, we need to know that Satan is a strong man. This is the parallel that Jesus sets up in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. And Satan here is likened, he's compared to a strong man. We know about these kind of strong men. They rule over their petty dictatorships. There are these strong men, right, in the conflict going on right now in the Middle East. And, and they rule in, the, in, in their brutal way, and they keep their own people um, like that horrible town in Syria where ISIS has control over the place. They don't let anybody out and, you know, so forth. Their rule is very brutal. Well, he's like that. He's a strong man. And we have to admit that Satan was created strong. He was originally an angel, probably an archangel, one of the highest and most mighty of the angels, excelling both in strength as well as intellect. Of course, he was lifted up in his pride. Just because he was given all this power and his strength and his beauty even, he was lifted up in his pride against God and rebelled against him. And of course, cast down because of it. Well, he's strong. He's also fully armed. 
Because this strong man is crafty. He knows how to deceive people. He's been doing it for a long time. The very first time he ever tried it on any one of us, Eve, who is unlike us, grew up in a perfect environment, never saw any sin, never had any inclination towards sin in her own heart. And he's so good at doing it, even the first time it worked. But now he's had all these thousands and thousands of years of practice and he's able to deceive with such great cleverness. And haven't we fallen for it in our day? He's fully armed. He has these lies that we listen to and all these alternatives to the true gospel. He has many lies to give to us and he has many temptations. He really has something for everyone. I bet Satan and his expertise could take one look at any one of you and say, I know what lie to give you apart from the actual true gospel that you will believe apart rather than the truth. And secondly, I know what temptations to tempt you with to keep you busy so you won't think about eternity. I will tempt you with power, tempt you with money, tempt you with drugs, drink, sex, whatever it might be. I will find a way to keep you in my kingdom. Nine times out of ten, he does it. Because he's a strong man who's fully armed, and he has something for everyone. And then, furthermore, he guards his own palace because he has it. He, he has a palace. He keeps his goods in it. First John 5 says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so the whole world and its rebellion is, is, is Satan's palace. And his goods, what are they? They're not the things that we are looking for. Satan doesn't care about gold or silver. It's the souls of men and women like you. These are his goods which he keeps in his palace and he guards them. He guards them. He knows he has to guard them because he lives in God's universe. And one day someone, this man, will come to oppose him. He knows. He was told. Don't forget Genesis 3.15 which is the very, very first inclination of the gospel that we ever have in scripture it was not told to Eve it was said to Satan so he knows it he knows that there's going to be enmity there's going to be warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent between the seed of those who would come from from Eve but who would be also coming from the line of Christ speaking of the seed of the woman and of Satan's own people These are mortal enemies. It is a fight to the death. And Satan will do his worst against Christ. If he can kill him, he certainly will. He certainly tried. But we know that it works both ways because the promise was specifically to Satan. One day, there will be a man who comes from this line. From this line of this woman whom you've troubled, you've tempted, and you've brought into destruction, yes. But there will be one who comes from her who will crush your head. And that's exactly what Christ came to do. Because if we say that Satan is a strong man, then thirdly, we need to say that Christ is stronger. Verse 22, when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Christ is a stronger man. Yes, on, on earth, during his earthly ministry, his, his glory was veiled. He did not show all of the glories of eternal God that he had, but he is God in flesh. He is the God-man. He is, by definition, the strongest man. And his victory was inevitable. It's unstoppable. And you see, he came upon Satan. It's an interesting little thing. When he comes upon him, he, he's, this is no accident. This encounter didn't just happen by chance. 
You see, Christ is the hunter and Satan is the hunted. 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. His palace, you see, his kingdom, they were calm and secure. And then in the fullness of time, Christ came as a great warrior king. Now, strangely, from, Christ's pers- or from Satan's perspective, he was made vulnerable, he was made weak in human flesh. But come to do battle with him. And, Satan, and, and Christ comes as his soldier. And he's got kind of, like I, I, I used to be a soldier. And sometimes you'd have two pieces of paper on your body. One would be letters from home. Reminders of the loved ones for why you're out there, right? Loved ones who you say, this is, this is what it's about. Well, Jesus had that. You see, there were those whom the Father had given to him, the sheep, his own people, whom he came to rescue, whom he came to save. It was for the joy set before him that he endured all that he underwent on our behalf. He had that love letter on one hand. What did he have in the other pocket? He had his orders. He had his orders and his target, information about who you're here to destroy, who you're here to save, and who you're here to destroy. And the answer to that other question is it's Satan. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. He does that, yes, by bringing us into truth and light. But ultimately, that all those sins by which we were held captive, all those sins by which, not just to Satan himself, but of course to God, we owe this debt. That God himself sends Christ in order that he might pay that debt on the cross. When they meet, you see, when they meet, because Christ is coming to do battle with him, Christ will overcome Satan. He will conquer. That's the word. Nike. That's where we get the word Nike from. If you have some Nike merchandise, it means to overcome. It means to be victorious. And that's what Christ did when he encountered Satan. He overcame him. Revelation 5.5 says this, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He has conquered. He has overcome. Or John 16.33 These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. I have prevailed. I have conquered the world. And so Christ came, and he overcame him, and he took that armor in which he was trusting. What did Satan have going for him? Something to accuse us about. And he took that armor on the cross. As he himself paid for the sins of his people, enduring the wrath of God that was justly due for our sins, Satan no longer has anything on us. He takes away that armor and exposes him. And all he has left are his lies. Well, says you will plunder him, because that's what happens. When the stronger man comes upon the strong man, he beats them up, and then he takes his stuff. And what's his stuff? It's you, you guys. You're the ones that that Satan had in his clutches. You were his goods. And Christ comes in one by one and takes them away from him, takes them off him. That's the whole point. That's That's the situation. No one can enter a strong man's house, as it says in Mark, and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, and then he will plunder his house. 
And that was what was happening right before their eyes. This is not Satan voluntarily giving up or working against himself, bizarrely. This is the strong man beaten beaten by the, the stronger man who is Christ and plunder being taken off him. That's what it is. And we need to remember that. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, thirdly, we have to understand that between these two kingdoms, that there is no middle ground. Verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. They kept on imagining that there was some halfway situation between them in which Jesus was sort of halfway opposing Satan and sort of also in league with him. Which one is it? Jesus says that's impossible. There are only two situations. You're either in Satan's kingdom completely under his control. He doesn't share power with anyone else. You're either under his control or you're under Christ's control. And these are mortal enemies. And those who are not actually with Christ are against him. Satan knows that. There's no quarter given. There's no treaties. There's no alliance. Neither is there with Christ. You're one or the other. And crucially, Jesus is extending that principle to ordinary people. He says, you guys, whoever is not with him, it's against him. If you're not actually a believer, one who has received the gospel in faith and self-consciously serving Christ in your life, then you're not with him. And by definition, then, there's only one alternative, that you're against him. Because you are, in fact, in Satan's kingdom. And you know what Jesus has done right here to the, the people that, were, that had opposed him? He's turning the tables on them. They said, you're in league with the devil. And Jesus says, no, let's get this straight. There's only two sides. I know what side I'm on. Right, Satan knows what side he's on. There's no middle ground. I'm on the one side. And if you're choosing not to believe in me, if you're choosing to twist things so that you don't have to put your faith in me to see the clear evidence, do you know whose side you're on? You're on the side of, of Satan. It's not me who's in league with the devil. You're in the league with the devil, you see, when you choose not to believe the clear evidence that Jesus is the Christ. You're in league with the devil whether you think so or not. And as I say, that's important because many say, I may not really be a Christian. I, I'm certainly not, though, on the other side. No way. But Jesus doesn't give us a third option. He doesn't give us a third option. If you're not gathering with him, meaning if you've not given your life over to him to serve him alongside his people, then you're scattering. And whether you like it or not, and it's such a sad thing, isn't it? You're actually on that other side, the kingdom of darkness. And it's just as well that you know that. It's just as well that you have clarity on that. Because what good is it to say nice things? What good would Jesus do if we were to just pat them on the head and say, you believe whatever you want? He's letting them know, if you're not with him, you're against him. Now, the clear application of all this is that you not remain in that way if you are. The main point is to believe. That's what Jesus' main point of all that was. He did this irrefutable proof of who he was. He says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now is your chance. Put your faith in this Christ. You ought to repent and believe the gospel. And beyond that, he, he, he points out exactly what the gospel is. It's all there. That Satan is not the strongest. That's the good news. You know, apart from that, if God had never sent, if, if, if Adam and Eve had fallen, 
and we all with them, we would all be under the sway of the evil. And then I often use this, this illustration. Imagine that, uh, I'm, I'm sure some of you have been to a cremation and you have this conveyor belt, it's rather macabre, and, and it's, it goes off into the furnace where there's flames of the body of the departed. And just extend that conveyor belt a little bit. And that's pretty much what, how Satan has his whole world running. The conveyor belt just goes on throughout your life. And you're hooked up, as it were, to a box. And there's TVs here and TVs here. And, 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 uh, and you're hooked up to a sound machine. And you're, you're kept a steady feed of lies. A steady stream of his distraction. So you do not think of what's going to happen next. But what happens when you go through the curtain? What's on the other side? Satan has you hooked up to the conveyor belt straight to hell. Because he's a murderer. And that's where he wants you to go. But Jesus has come so that you might have life. Christ has come to free you from that bondage. That you might put your faith in him and be saved. A stronger man than Satan has come. And you don't have to live in the grasp of this conveyor belt anymore. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, I would say also for Christians, for believers, that we ought to gather with Jesus. That's one way that we should understand the ministry of the church, this and every other church, that we are taking spoil from Satan. And as we walk in this world, we walk in this prison house, we walk alongside the conveyor belt, and we encounter these prisoners, we encounter these prisoners going their way, and they're oblivious to the message because they're under the sway of the wicked one. Well, what do we need to do? We can't do it. But unseen with us is the stronger man. The stronger man, the Lord Jesus. And we ask him, Lord, we want that one. We don't want him to remain under the sway of the wicked one. We don't want him to go to hell. We want to save him. Lord, please release him from the sway of the wicked one. And he, as it were, wrestles Satan into submission. It's not even hard. His armor is gone. He takes the person off him and he gives it to us, the church. Because he is the victor dividing the spoils with his people. We ought to gather with Jesus, knowing that he's a stronger man. And we look forward in all these things to the final victory, don't we? I saw an angel in Revelation 20 coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of Satan, the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him up. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. The nations no longer be deceived. Well, thirdly and finally, I think we ought to know that we are in strong hands if we are Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, you ought to know that you are in strong hands and we're in no danger of being taken from Christ. Going back to that section in John 10, 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I do that to Satan, he doesn't do that to me. No one's going to snatch them out of my, my hand. You know why? Because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, stronger than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Oh, and just so you understand, he says, 
I and my Father are one. So everything he says of the Father is true of him. He is greater than all. And no one child of God, no one is able to snatch you out of his hand. Let that be a comfort to you. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, you are good. And Christ is a strong man. And lo, Lord, we, along with everyone else who has ever lived, have been under the sway of the wicked one. We have listened to his lies and his temptations and have gone astray. Lord, we are thankful that Christ has come to set us free. And Heavenly Father, how we pray that we would indeed receive the gospel. That all here who are under the sway of this wicked one, who are currently his prize or his goods in his palace, Lord, we pray that you would set them free, that you, through Christ who is a stronger man, that they would be given rather instead of lies and deceptions until they die and after that eternal death in hell, that rather, Lord, they would believe the gospel and be saved. And Lord, how thankful that Christ is so strong that we who are in his grasp need never fear. None is greater than him. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. And Heavenly Father, how we pray then, that even as we turn to baptism and to this wonderful sign of, of Christ laying claim to a new precious life, how we pray, Lord, that all who are baptized here might recognize their pledge, their deposit, their token to be no longer Satan's, but rather to be Christ's. We pray this in his name. Amen.